This is Sit Rep on VFBS with Kate Chabot. The top MI5 man breaks his cover and says why he needs to read our emails. The campaign to clear a Royal Marine of murder and the biggest defence widget show opens in London. Snipers are first in line. Our latest innovation, an armour-piercing round on calibre 338, penetrates a 13mm steel plate at 600 metres, and that's really impressive. Today, MI5's Director-General Andrew Parker went on the BBC to say an IS attack on the United Kingdom is highly likely. He says there have been six attempted attacks this year and new technology is making it harder to stop the determined bomber. We've seen uh, six attempts at terrorism in this country just in the last 12 months that we and partner agencies with the police have had to intervene in to stop, and that is the highest number I can recall in my 32-year career. Well, with me is BFBS Defence analyst Christopher Lee. Hello, Christopher. This is a rare appearance by the head of MI5. Sort of, isn't it? Because um, I see him at places like the Royal United Services Institute where he comes to um, conferences or or whatever. Um, And then in January this year, he gave a talk, a sort of lecture, outlining very much the sort of thing he was doing here, uh, and then news of that was leaked out. He also appears before the parliamentary committees, but what he doesn't do is go on a programme, as he did this morning, like the Today programme, and take questions, straightforward questions, anything allowed. So why now? Um, I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that he believes, and he's talked to the Prime Minister about this, that he believes with a terrorist threat like this, and people have to, and might have to be giving up all sorts of things which they didn't imagine were important before. For example, there's going to be a, ru- a move on data protection, and so in, in shorthand, more of, uh, they'll have... M- through GCHQ, more access to our emails, our mobile calls, etc. Not that you'll, be have a, you'll have enough staff to read them all, but that sort of thing. He feels he ought to be around far more. Mm. And also, uh, the Prime Minister is about to go into the House of Commons and say, give me a mandate that I can operate an RAF bombing uh, crew over Syria. He wants that because it's not so much bombing anti-Assad or Assad forces he wants to get at. Um, Parker, the director-general at MI5, wants to get at people like we saw the other day. Remember the two fellows that were zapped by a... Uh, yeah, the British insurgents. Yes, yeah, that's what he's trying so, to get, and he'll get that. And he's trying. So therefore, he's really speaking there uh, to MPs. And the prime minister would be very pleased by these kind of comments. Then they might have actually telephoned him about it. I don't know. Is he actually telling us anything that we don't actually know, though? Because these kind of things have been said before, haven't they? Well, uh, some of them have, yeah. I mean, for example, uh, in, in January, he was talking about highly likely to, that, the, that the United Kingdom would be attacked. Uh, but what he's telling us is that there have been six attempted attacks of a high, high standard uh, by the terrorists uh, this year thus far, and that it becomes extraordinary. In terms important. of Syria itself, Christopher, what deals are, try- are going on behind the scenes? Right, tomorrow uh, John Kerry, the United States uh, Secretary of State, is coming here to talk to uh, David Cameron uh, and uh, Philip Hammond because next week, end of next week, everybody moves to the United Nations for talks there on what might be done over Syria, and Putin is going there. Uh, to the United Nations, and these guys, people like Hammond, Cameron, and also Kerry, want to get their uh, act right before they meet him.
Still to come, shopping for weapons. We look at the latest defence innovations at DSEI and the Battle of Britain remembered what we know now that we didn't know then. Campaigners are pushing for a review of the murder conviction of a Royal Marine jailed for killing a Taliban insurgent in Afghanistan. Sergeant Alexander Blackman is serving an eight-year jail sentence after being convicted by a court-martial. Now the Royal Navy has published an internal review which says Sergeant Blackman was morally disengaged and showed poor leadership. Well, the best-selling author, Frederick Forsyth, is backing the campaign to review his conviction and he joins us now in the studio. Good to see you today, Frederick Forsyth. Why did you want to get involved? Well, I, I got involved actually rather late in the day. I didn't, I wasn't present or, or aware of the court martial that sentenced this sergeant. Uh, well, basically, I went to life imprisonment. Um, it was later I got involved, and I began to sort of research backwards. And the more I researched, the more it's, it's, it's what I call the antennae of an old journalist. Eventually, when you start examining things, it can happen. It stinks. And what there's ev- an aroma, there's an odour arising. And this, 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 what was done to this man, in my view, had a very bad smell about it. And there's evidence that was not presented at the court-martial, which you think should have been. What evidence are you talking about? Oh, it's coming out of the woodwork in, um, in large quantities. Uh, a lot, it seems to me, was suppressed at that court-martial. It, it was, they were, he, the, the accused person, was never told there was an alternative charge of manslaughter. Uh, the jury, they called the board, which was seven officers, were never told there was an alternative charge of manslaughter. They should have been. I suspect had they known that was available to them, they might have jumped at it because they, they brought this, uh, uh, they made quite plain that they were bringing this uh, verdict with extreme reluctance because he was, uh, he was not, a, I mean, they're, they're trying to slag him off. He was a very, very fine um, young, uh, young commander. He'd uh, had one tour in Ireland, uh, three in Iraq, two in Afghanistan. Here, there are men who served under him who said I'd have followed him through the gates of hell. Mm. So why are they slagging off this very fine man? Because for a few seconds, at the extremity of battle fatigue, he snapped. Um, he admits he snapped, and he's apologised for snapping, but it isn't murder. And he was saying, as part of his defence, that he thought that this person was already dead. But having said that, the video evidence that was seen at the court-martial showed this man was clearly alive at the time of the killing. And Sergeant Blackman himself, afterwards, the, the words he said, saying, obviously this goes no further, I just broke the Geneva Convention, shows he was aware of what he did. Look, let's get this right. When he said that, he was referring to the fact that you're not supposed to maltreat the body of a but dead that's, enemy. That, that's open not, to conjecture, no, 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 though, no, really, no, isn't no, it? it? Unless well, you yes. were there. Do you remember an old adage about British law that the benefit of the doubt goes to the defendant, not to the prosecution? Because they didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. He said he was referring to the fact that he had broken a part of the Geneva Convention that prohibits so the dispersion of, of a body. So why didn't that come out of the court-martial? Because he had a rotten defence barrister. So um, do you believe that the actual court-martial is the right environment to try this kind of crime? Personally, I think that the advice which he was given and took to go for court-martial rather than Crown Court was the worst advice he was ever given in his life. There are various things about... Uh, the the crown court the manipulability of a crown oh sorry of a court martial 
uh, that for me make it extremely suspect way of trying a man. Of course, um, the irony of all of this is that um, had the cam- camera evidence from the helmet not come to light, Sergeant Blackman would not be in jail right now and he would have been decorated. It's possible, but don't forget um, another thing coming out is that the evidence, so-called evidence from the from the, the uh, camera, this is a blog uh, website thing, uh, camcorder I think it's called, on on which was hidden in the scrim of another marine, uh, is also open uh, to dual uh, sort of um, identification because uh, a body can twitch after death. I've spoken to a former commander. But, but, uh, of the I, I just come he back to yes, the fact, could. though, a one of our reporters who was actually at the court-martial saw mm. the footage yep. of the body. I've and seen it, he, too. There was no doubt in his mind that that body was alive There at was the no doubt the body was twitching. But it is also a case that, and I've spoken to a forensic pathologist who was also not called to that court-martial, that in his last moments of life, a man dying of his wounds may drift in and out of coma. And in coma, he will look dead. Uh, and it's possible this man, the sergeant, looked down, okay. saw him like this and thought he was gone. So you've joined this campaign. What would satisfy you? Well, I think uh, that what we're going for, and is, this is not exculpation, this is uh, putting the case before, if they will accept it, we pray they will, a body called the Criminal Cases Review Commission. Now, the CCRC is a perfectly lawful body. It exists for specifically to re-examine cases where there may have been error. Uh, we think there was error here, um, some of it not necessarily uh, accidental error, uh, the, 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 the phrase stitch up, uh, the phrase crucifixion, the phrase hung out to dry, I've heard from other Marines about the man they respected and admired. So if the CCRC would take this up, it has the power to re-examine, and particularly in the light of fresh evidence. Now, there is an Everest of fresh evidence that has been uncovered since this man was convicted, and it was never brought to the trial, and it should have been brought to the trial, but it wasn't. So, if they say, in the view of all this fresh evidence, we think this should go back to the appeal court with our recommendation uh, for amendment, amendment basically from murder to manslaughter, then that same court could say, well, in that case, um, three years for manslaughter, which would mean out with time served. All right, Frederick Forsyth, thank you for your time today. So, what is the future of defence technology? All this week, hundreds of defence manufacturers have been showing off their latest innovations at London's Excel Centre. The Defence Security Equipment International Conference, or DSEI as it's known, is one of the biggest arms fairs in the world. In a minute, we'll tell you about SITREP's top picks. But first, here's a report from Will Inglis on one of the MOD's many announcements at the event. This event may be huge, but not everything will fit through the doors of this vast exhibition space. The A400M's appearance, for instance, limited to a mention in Defence Procurement Minister Philip Dunn's opening speech. The Royal Air Force's air mobility transport fleet has also reached a key milestone with delivery of the latest Atlas aircraft to the RAF. The handover of this, the seventh A400M from Airbus Defence and Air and Space, means that the £2.75 billion programme for 22 aircraft has achieved its in-service date. Significant, because this is the plane that could eventually replace RAF workhorse the Hercules. But it's not ready for that just yet. For now, the Atlas is limited to strategic air transport only. The military stuff, such as parachute drops, will come later. 
Tony Toner from Airbus Defence and Space explains. We're capable at the moment of delivering worldwide uh, strategic air transport. Uh, they're also capable of developing, doing test and evaluation uh, flights with Boscombe Down and 206 Squadron, and we're developing the aircraft for its full use in the parachuting, the air land and the um, airdrop roles. Building the A400M has been anything but straightforward. And the programme isn't out of the woods yet, with senior management changes at Airbus earlier this year. And then there was the tragedy in May, when a brand new Atlas came down moments into its maiden flight. First of all, we need to reflect it was a, a tragic accident and it was a, a terrible loss of some, some very um, good friends and colleagues. Um, has it affected the programme? Well, of course it has. There was a delay in, in flying for about seven weeks, but actually uh, we're now seven weeks after we restarted flying and we're approaching back to our normal delivery. The delivery of the aircraft that we've just taken was only seven weeks after we had planned it, so it's only late by the amount of time that we didn't fly. Seven planes is certainly the beginnings of a capability. But with so much as yet unproven, it remains to be seen whether Atlas can become as versatile as the Hercules, and so a true replacement. Will English reporting there. Well, the Ministry of Defence also chose DSEI to unveil the Army's new armoured fighting vehicle, the Scout SV. The MOD is spending £3.5 billion on the vehicle, which will be called Ajax, and replace the Scimitar when it comes into service in 2017. What's in the name, Christopher? Ajax, a cleaning fluid, you could say. Oh, me. I thought you had a <laughs> classical education. In fact, it, was, no, it was called Fres, though, wasn't it, it before was, then? It was, then Scout, yes. and now Ajax. Why all the changes? Uh, well, it wasn't Fred. Fres stands for Future Rapid Effect System, right? And that was the ger- generic time of of about six or diff- seven different different vehicles, and they've chosen them from the uh, the Trojan Wars. All these characters. One is Ajax. Ajax was the who, who was one of 99 gay, uh, g- guys who used to chase after Helen of Troy. Uh, he was he's quite good. The next one is Ares, and Ares was rather important because went went round looking at things, and that's going to be the reconnaissance vehicle. Uh, Athena, well, she was made mad. Do you know, they, her father, which was called Zeus, somebody came along, hit him with an axe, out came Athena... A big surprise to everybody, and that's why this one's going to be called Athena. Wow. Um, let's go on now to SITREP's top DSEI picks. Uh, Christopher, <laughs> now you were really excited about this last week, the new laser gun made by this German company, Rheinmetall. Yeah, it's it's a high-energy laser. I mean, the mm. sort of thing it can do, if you took a little 83mm eight, ball bearing, right, mm. and you dropped it somewhere at high speed, like big, faster than sound... Two miles away, you could hit it. I must stop you right there because I've got a little treat for you. I went to have a look at it earlier this week and I spoke to Dr. Marcus Jung, who is head of Rheinmetall's Direct Energy Weapon Programme. OK, what you see here is, uh, is a laser system which is based on a modular concept with uh, four beam-forming units and the laser systems together, which using a beam superimposing technology. So we are able to get all these four beams located on one spot. And if we speak about one spot, we're speaking about uh, a two-pound size coin in a distance of 1,000 metres. That's why we are precise focusing. Just describe what we've got here. It's a demonstrator system. We're using a standard naval gun system. That's the Leffet of the MLG-27 for course tracking, meaning looking where is the target, basically. And then we're using these modules on top, these beamforming units, for fine tracking, for fine to, to make very short that we see precisely on the target where we put the spot. So what we've got here is like 
four barrels, and inside those barrels are the beams. Inside the barrels, we are using focusing, we are using fine tracking. We're doing this all this in these we call them at barrels. We we call them beam forming units. Yes. And what kind of ship might this be used on? It could be used on nearly every ship. Yes, and you see, it's modular designs. So that if you have a small ship, you just use one of those because you have to get the laser on top. And if you have bigger ships, you put more use more of the modules together. Put me in a war situation. Tell me how this is going to be used. Okay, if we if we look on the target spectrum we're looking for, we're looking for uh, UAVs, small, slow. We're looking on jet skis. We're looking on Zodiacs. We're looking for all those targets which you are, at the moment you do not have any real weapon. Especially if you look in the situations where you can't use your normal ammunition, like you're sitting in a harbor, in a civil harbor. You're getting a speedboat coming across to your ship. Uh, normally, you have to get the real guns out, which you can't use in a civil operation. The laser would be precise, stops this boat. So what kind of situation? Perhaps counter-piracy or, or could any... Could be counter-piracy, could be a uh, um, UN mission, uh, could be everything which is between real war and uh, no war. Well, that was Dr. Marcus Young there from Rheinmetall. Christopher, what did you make of that, hey? I think... Happy? Well, I'm happy. I'm happy. I tell you, in seriousness about this, um, wonderful land warfare. For example, it can take out an IED mm. without sending the guys forward. The second thing, he can put it now on a ship, even a small ship. And when you consider what it can take on targets without having to have a large ammunition stock, it's a natural. And will the Royal Navy perhaps be getting this equipment? I'll tell you in November when we have the defence budget, but in fact they do need it on their smaller vessels. Incidentally, you can see a picture of the laser on our Twitter feed at BFBS SITRAP. SITREP. <laughs> so next I, I headed to the massive BAE system stand to seek out their head of cyber threat intelligence, Adrian Nish. He told me that BAE have become experts at dealing with cyber threat because the company itself is often under attack. Cyber has become uh, effectively the new medium for traditional adversaries and both criminals and, uh, and, and a whole range of actors to, to conduct attacks. Uh, the motivation is, is the same as what we see in other spaces. Criminals want to make money, uh, nation states want to gain intelligence and, and, and power over adversaries. And BA Systems being such a huge defence company is subject to attack. How does it defend itself? Yes, of course, uh, we, we see a lot of attacks against uh, BA Systems. It's a, it's a daily battle keeping up with them. Uh, some are just opportunistic. Uh, many get caught by spam filters and, and common defences. Uh, but we also have more serious adversaries who, who target us trying to steal uh, intellectual property, for example. So they're trying to find out what you're developing potentially. Are they also trying to disable your business? Uh, we, we, we sometimes don't know. We, we see that attackers are trying to get into the organization, um, but inevitably they don't get as far as, as taking information out. So uh, often understanding specifically what they're trying to do is, uh, is, is one of the uh, trickiest parts of it. So how do you go about actually trying to defend yourselves? So we have a uh, global security operations center, uh, and they monitor the networks. Uh, they work with uh, local teams across the world. Uh, we've got a range of, of systems in place, both automated systems um, and analysts looking at alerts coming off um, more kind of heuristic-based uh, approaches. And you also help people to whom you've sold equipment. How do you help them defend themselves? Yeah, so a big part of the business and, and, and one of the fastest growing areas is what, we, what BA Systems sells to uh, both governments and commercial space for, for defending in, in cyber. Um, and, and this leverages some of our own technologies, some of our own 
people and expertise in, in, in understanding how to, uh, to manage intelligence, how to collect information, process it and, uh, and, and present uh, information to stakeholders. A lot has been said about how companies do uh, in terms of defending themselves against cyber attack. How, how well do you think the UK is doing at the moment? Is it ahead of the game? Is it behind or somewhere in the middle? The UK is doing very well. Uh, the, the government has a, a very mature approach to uh, defending in cyberspace, um, but it's, a, it's an ever-shifting battle. I mean, as cyberspace evolves, uh, the, the attackers uh, evolve to, to leverage exploits and, uh, and, and vulnerabilities in systems. So the UK needs to, to be agile, I think, is, is the one key thing in, in terms of keeping up with the attackers. In terms of the attackers, how big a threat is so-called Islamic State? Islamic State is, is mainly uh, using cyberspace for propaganda means, but we do see evidence that they're building capability to... What's that evidence? Uh, so it, it would be examples of code that we've seen which may have been written by people affiliated with Islamic State that could be used to target organizations in, in a more malicious fashion. So actually infiltrating organizations, uh, potentially destroying data within them. That was Adrian Nish from BAE Systems. Uh, Christopher, you don't actually hear people like him talking very often, do you? No, no. And it's the whole theme of this exhibition, which I reckon is the most important of all the defence exhibitions. These guys make widgets. And put it this way, we were hearing about an aeroplane earlier, the A400, right? There are, there are something like 2.7 million widgets, things that make that thing fly and do all the things it's supposed to do. These are the people that make out the big systems that we normally talk about... These are the people that make them fly, float, it's and shoot straight. Because he actually said to me at the conference, it's interesting because there's so many people in BAE systems and lots of things that he ha- hadn't had the chance to see himself. He was enjoying it as much as anybody else. That's right. You know the uh, F-22, the American aircraft that's coming over here to join mm-hmm. NATO? BAE systems has got a little group of, of, of instruments in there that without in, in that aircraft and without that group of instruments, it don't fly. OK, so next was the tricky topic of snipers' ammunition. Swiss company Ruag Amotech has developed what it claims in its promotional material is the sniper's choice of bullet. These can get through toughened glass and even steel plates, as Sabine Brechtbühl from the company explains. As the European market leader, we offer standard and special ammunition for armed forces and law enforcement units. Uh, Ruach Swiss P, the sniper's choice, is, is our brand for professionals, uh, snipers and designated marksmen. And we offer 29 different cartridges and to enhance the technical advantage of special units. And what can they do exactly? Um, our products can shoot through glass without deflections, for example, or penetrate engine blocks or light vehicle armour. Our latest innovation, an armor-piercing round on caliber 338, penetrates a 13mm steel plate at 600 meters, and that's really impressive. How do you actually develop that kind of technology? Um, Ruag innovates and develops um, based on our customer needs. It's individually adapted, so we are very close to our customers. And we, we said snipers earlier. Who might use this kind of ammunition? The end users are professional snipers of of military or law enforcement units. It it must be a constant race to make the bullets before the people who are making the stuff to defend themselves from those bullets. How do you balance all of that? Um, RUAG is an international technology group and we have representatives all over the world. 
the contact to our customers is very important and the collaboration is our success. That was Sabine Brethbill from Ruag Amotec. Yeah, I tell you what, ain't sniping fun. You had here Freddie Forsyth. Mm. Yeah. Mm. If he'd have known these people... Would have been an interesting encounter, well, wouldn't it? Have, yeah, he, could have, he could have gone off and probably rewritten Day of the Jackal <laughs> and got it done in three chapters. Interesting, interesting though, Sabine herself, yes. she's an army captain in the Swiss Army and yeah. she was she was off later, the next day, I think, to actually try some of these bullets out in a live firing exercise, quite excited about it all. The, the very efficient reserve forces. But, Rifle under the bed, last one up the mountains but of Sissy. You, you know what, though? It, did, it, it took a while to persuade her to talk about it, though. Quite sensitive. Terribly sensitive. Mm. The subject, the word sniper... Mm. is extraordinary because it applies to both sides. Right, uh, our final pick of the exhibition was a French company called Sea Owl who were pitching their wares to the Royal Navy. I went down to the waterside and spoke to Director of Strategy, Shane Bigi. Well, our company is a specialist uh, company in outsourcing services um, to the Navy, specifically the French Navy, with whom we have a contract for the past five years to supply... Uh, Navy uh, training support services. So basically, uh, instead of using their auxiliary fleet to train their personnel in landing helicopters, uh, performing commando assault exercises, they basically use our ship in a number of exercises, can last three days up to ten days at sea, where the combined forces uh, will uh, uh, do exercises by boarding the vessel or uh, launching and hitting targets that we uh, operate from the vessel. So what is this vessel we're standing in front of now? Well, it's, it's a, we call it a Swiss army knife. Basically, it has everything you need to do all the exercises. So we can launch uh, uh, aerial drones, subsonic and uh, helicopter drones. So the gunnery and the missile operation of the vessel can practice uh, hitting the targets. We can launch uh, underwater UAVs uh, to simulate uh, the signature of a submarine. I, ju- I just add that's a civilian plane flying overhead, nothing to do with what you're doing today. No, 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 no. Um, and at the same time, we can, we can uh, uh, use the vessel to train cadets as well in ships manoeuvring. So really, it's saving uh, the French Navy at the moment, you know, they, the use of their, their fleet. So CL's your company, yeah. and you're, you're here today trying to curry business with the Royal Navy to train up some of the seafarers of the future. How interested do they seem? Well, we'll see, uh, we'll see uh, at the end of this event, yeah. But the main, the main objective is to, to, to show them that you, they can save a lot of money. Is it a good time, though, perhaps, to be approaching the Royal Navy because of all the cutbacks in defence? Oh, totally, totally. I mean, the genesis of our contract is exactly this. is The, the, the French Navy had, uh, had a number of cuts really affecting uh, uh, their, their capability into, into training. So they, uh, they decided to go on the market and tender for this type of services. So 200 days a year we are at sea is 200 days that they're not using one of their frigates. So we man with 12 people on the vessel. They man maybe 100 people. What, what areas of the Royal Navy do you think you could help train? It's a large scope. It's uh, from frigate to commanders to uh, the, the, the Air Force to the helicopter uh, squads to, you know, to, to land uh, the helicopter, uh, perform exercises uh, with the commander to board from the helicopter or from the boat at night, uh, during the day, in the fog. I mean, it's, it's very versatile, the solution, really. 
That was Shane Bidgey from CL. Christopher, I mean, do you think this is something really the Royal Navy might consider? I think the thing that the Royal Navy might consider, the French example, who saved about 14% on their on their training costs. Because you just hire for a day, basically, can't well, you? Or- but yeah, basically, it's, it's like having a sort of a, an office bureau. You just hire it when you need it and out. But they're very good at what they do. Mm. Commemorations were held this week to mark the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Britain. Um, aside from whether politicians sing the national anthem or not, uh, your thoughts on that? I just think it's it's a reminder, isn't it, that and, and listening to what we've been talking about just now with this modern equipment, etc. These guys went off, and it was only for sort of six, seven weeks, in in stuff that you could fix with a spanner, uh, mm-hmm. widgetless almost. And and our concept is 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 romantic rather than the practicalities that. Well, I think sometime in the future we ought to think about that far more. Just before we we go today, um, there may be an announcement coming on a future deployment of troops. Peacekeeping troops, Christopher. British British troops going to South Sudan, where there it would be peacekeeping potentially, would it? There'll be United Nations peacekeeping troops in Blue Berets. Uh, there's been a 20-month war there. Uh, the president fighting the ex his ex deputy. They broke away from Sudan. Mm. It ain't going to be fixed very quickly. And other mm. thing, they've got to cope with something like 2.3, 2.4 million refugees. Mm. And that's going to be the only other deployment, by the way, of the, Uni- uh, the United Kingdom in UN, uh, other uh, than Cyprus. And just in a word, of all the things you heard from DSCI, your favourite? It's got to be the high-energy laser. I want one. <laughs> you probably have one <laughs> Get already. Get <those> pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is all the time we have this week. Yeah, my thanks to all of our contributors and, of course, to our defence analyst, Christopher Lee. Don't forget, you can see our pictures from DSEI on Twitter. We are at BFBS SITREP. Join us again this time next week. But from me, Kate Chabot, thanks for listening and bye-bye for now. Sports, sports and music, music for the British forces. This is BFB.